Thursday Finance on 2NURFM with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jan Klein. And Stephen will be looking at changes to superannuation in the budget. How will it affect you? We'll also have our market snapshot with Henry Jennings and currencies and commodities. 2NURFM on a Thursday afternoon. It is 14 past 12. Thursday finance for our sponsor Pritchard and Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, before we start on currencies and commodities, there's been a drop in interest rates this month. And uh, is that going to affect deeming rates for Centrelink pensions? Um Yes, Les, Les gave us a call last week on this, and we, we, we never had time to cover it last week, so we, we'll just cover it this week. Um, the deeming rate from Centrelink pensions is actually set by regulation, um, so it's not really up to um, Centrelink to, to adjust that. They have to wait for the relevant minister to uh, pass the regulation. So I, I, um, you'd expect in due course that the the rate the deeming rate would come down, but but it hasn't always in the past. So, so probably the... the the person you probably need to ring to get the latest update is your uh, local member of Federal Parliament, which in Newcastle, Sharon Clayton. And uh, who's late? Shoreland? Jodie Harrison's around. Jodie Harrison, Charles yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. So we all these politicians we get confused whether it's state family. Yeah, it's Sharon Clayton in Newcastle. So you could give her office a call and ask uh, well, when that's expected. Federal politicians. Federal, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Okay, yes. make sure it's the federal one. Yes, it has to be Pat federal. Pat Conroy around the Charlton area. Okay. Yeah. And, yes, and so on. <laughs> and Bob Baldwin's, uh, Bob Baldwin's um, not standing, so... Uh, but he's there at the moment. Um, maybe. <laughs> he told me he finished when the house was dissolved. Oh, well, I suppose there's something to that. So, so I don't know. So I'm not sure who is in Patterson at the moment. Okay. So find your local poly anyway. Find, find your local office. federal poly and ask them. Uh, okay. Deeming rates and Centrelink. Now, in the meantime, what's happening with currencies and commodities? Commodities, are they up, down? Oh, commodities were all over the place. Um, um, the commodities in Australian dollar, the gold price and, and, and silver price in Australian dollar terms were marginally up, but that that's basically because the continued fall in the Australian dollar. So the gold closed the week at 70, well, closed the week for us at $734 um, Australian compared to $1,720 Australian last week, which is up about 1% on the week. And silver was up 1.4% at $23.52 um, close for the week. Um, the, the industrial uh, metals um, were, were down. Um, copper was down by 2.63% um, to uh, 6372 which is interesting because there's generally, there seems to be this consensus among the mining industry there's a looming copper shortage which you'd expect the price to go up but it seems to be seems to be slowly dropping but anyhow um nickel which is a big component in the manufacture of stainless steel and you know stainless steel fridges and dishwashers and all sorts of things um uh it was down 6.6 percent on the week to eleven thousand seven hundred and seventy three dollars a ton um the Currencies for those people who are thinking of going overseas or going overseas, um, it's now a sea of red ink. Um, the Australian dollar was was um, against the US dollar was down to seventy three uh, cents, which was down one point three percent on the week. Uh, the Great British Pound we're down to fifty one pence, which is um, we, we haven't been that level for quite a while, which was down another one percent on the week. Um, uh, even against the new the New Zealand dollar, we were down half a percent, which is one dollar eight, and the euro um, we were down to. 64 euro cents, which is one dollar, uh, 1.56%. So on average, we'd be down, you know, around one percent against all the major currencies last week, which which is Reserve Bank's policy. I mean, part of the reason they cut the interest rates was to uh, 
cause the Australian dollar to continue or attempt to get the Australian dollar to fall. Mm. Um, so they expect that people won't put money into Australia, the Australian currency or the Australian market, perhaps, because they're not getting such a return. Yeah, I mean, the Australian interest rates are quite high compared to the rest of the world. There was a lot of money coming in here to, to invest and provided the interest rate, the, the exchange rate stable. I mean, you can, you can get, um, you know, 3% here in Commonwealth bonds and state bonds and, and um, you know, term deposits with a bank. It's pretty easy to get that. And, and, and compared to overseas, you're getting 0.1. 1.2 if you're lucky um some of the, the bonds in japan and switzerland are actually negative so so um negative returns so so you know hmm. um reserve banks trying to and also stimulates export markets so you know the fall in the dollar is good for um export country companies like murray goldwyn which could do use with a bit of good news at the moment right? <laughs> <laughs> now in the meantime our um uh, the, the, the equity markets in australia um we were reasonably quite well for the week we're 5434 um which we're, we're back up about 5400 points um as it closed yesterday um which was up 1.8 percent on the week which was quite good the u.s market was pretty steady at 17711 um the f- 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 UK Financial FTSE index um, was steady at 6,162, which is 0.8%. There was an interesting listing in the UK this week, Hotel Chocolate, which is a very exclusive chocolates is listed on the London Stock Exchange at a premium, and it's the only chocolate company listed in London now. Well, that is interesting. Yes, yes. They sell for, uh, I was looking at them on the website, they sell for uh, £6.50 for a 75-gram block of chocolate. And if you're a shareholder, do you get extra... <laughs> <laughs> extra bits of chocolate? It's interesting you say that because they've actually got a series of things called chocolate bonds on issue. Instead of getting paid interest, you get paid in chocolates. I love it. I thought, I thought it was – well, that's what attracted my attention to it. I thought this is interesting. Um, I don't know when you pay your tax how you determine the value. And, but nevertheless, I thought it was interesting. A chocolate bond, so you get chocolates, yes. So it's interesting. Mm. And um, the Hang Seng Index, which uh, there was no, no really interesting stocks listing there last week, I think. <laughs> Not like Hotel Chocolate, anyhow. Uh, 20,055, which is down 3% on the week. Now, can we make sense of the oil prices? Oh, well, I mean, you, your your predictions are, uh, yes, yes, well. Um, the West, West Texas Intermediate Crude was um, uh, um, was up 4% on the week to $60 a barrel, but part of that, because we're talking in $8 terms here, part of that's because of um, the increase in uh, uh, the fall in our currency. Our currency. Um, and the uh, the unleaded petrol price was of the dollar twenty in Newcastle this morning, which compared to a dollar twenty two. So so we're still up sixteen percent from three weeks ago, which is a huge, a huge rise. Um, there is a variation around the suburbs, though. I think too. Yeah, I'm not sure we're in an RMA. We just get the yeah yeah yeah. Sure. Yeah, we don't That's... send someone round. <laughs> But we could get a, re- a listener to perhaps volunteer to drive around. <laughs> Anyhow, so courtesy of the NRA, we're a dollar twenty this morning, and in Sydney it's a dollar ten. Um, Sydney's down seven percent on the week, and we're only down two. So um, mm-hmm. uh, we don't seem to have any explanation for that as usual. Uh, and the diesel price in Newcastle is a dollar fourteen a litre, which is pretty similar to last week, and a dollar ten in Sydney. Well, Sydney was actually up four percent on the week, but but we're steady. To NURFM, it's Thursday Finance and time for our market snapshot. Stephen Pritchard with Henry Jennings, who's Senior Commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. Good today. A bit cool. It's a bit cool up here. 
Really? It's uh, it's beautiful down in Sydney. Yeah, so. I knew you'd say that. Yeah, you must that. be getting the, uh, the that cool breeze coming through. Coming straight up from the snowies and bypassing you. Yes, must be. <laughs> Anyhow, so BHP's put out some good news. They're, they're going to do some growth without acquisitions, and uh, the market reacted positively at that stage. Well, yeah, the market did react pos- uh, positively. It's about time we had some positive news from BHP. Bearing in mind, though, this is um, this is very aspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking about growing the uh, the base value of the company by seventy percent mm-hmm. over ten years. So, I mean, that's that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least we are getting some sort of growth strategy out of. Andrew McKenzie, it does look like they're using what uh, the market calls latent capacity. So in actual fact, they're sweating their current assets rather than acquiring new ones or exploring for new um, new resources. So they're, they're basically making their uh, their current assets more productive, uh, squeezing the costs down and pushing production up. So um, that's where they're hoping the growth is going to come from. Well, I mean, given the track record on recent acquisitions or for a fair while, really. Yes. I mean, it's probably not a bad strategy. It's uh, it's probably better than uh, some of the other strategies they've employed, which has, um, like a lot of these resource companies, they bought um, expensive assets at the top of the market, and uh, we've seen maybe the bottom of the commodity markets, and you know the assets that they could buy at the moment are not cheap, so mm. um, they're looking internally for uh, for growth. Yeah, and then Orica um, came out with an announcement too, and their their, their uh, share price promptly dropped twelve percent about an earnings downgrade. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Orica is uh, in the explosives business, and obviously, mining services has been hit hard. And if you, you know, when you read BHP's statement about cutting costs and uh, sweating assets, um, that includes the mining services side of things, and explosives are obviously um, a big part of uh, mining in terms of uh, getting that stuff out of the ground. Um, Orica have suffered. Um, and continue to suffer. So um, not a good news story there. The market did take things pretty badly um, and uh, did have a, a big sell-off. We certainly don't like surprises. Um, again, although I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised the market was surprised that they were surprised about the, um, about the fall in, uh, in explosives. <laughs> a lot of surprises, so, eh? A lot of surprises, yeah. Uh, yes, and what surprised me that ANZ's buckled and... Um, signed up with Apple Pay. I mean, that surprised me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, new payment services out there um, so that you can pay for uh, um, services and products on your phone. And Apple is one of the, uh, the, 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 the big ones out there at the moment. They previously teamed with American Express. Um, the banks themselves were kind of balking at the amount of uh, money they would have to share with Apple. Um, obviously, somebody's got to pay somewhere along the line. Um, and uh, although the consumer's not paying for the service, um, the merchant themselves is, uh, is is giving the banks a cut. And of course, the banks didn't really want to share that with uh, with Apple and preferred to, uh, to use their own in-house apps. Um, but um, it looks like uh, ANZ has been the first uh, penguin to jump in this one, and, and we probably will see the other um, the other three banks also jump on the Apple Pay bandwagon uh, going forward. It's probably just a matter of time. It's interesting because the consumer is actually paying for that technology, and and then Apple wants to charge the banks for something they've already sold to the consumer. So mm. it's an interesting concept. I wish we could go. Oh, they good Apple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder why it doesn't fall under the Secret Commissions Act if they're not disclosing that to the consumer when they buy the phone. Well, there is there is that. Yes, I mean you're probably more of an expert. No, in no, no, I just thought of it then. Than I am. 
I just thought of it then. Anyhow, Woolworths. <laughs> Woolworths, Woolworths is to consider the shortlist uh, for the bidders for Masters on Friday. So, uh, um, yeah, so they're, they're determined to sell Masters instead of trying to fix it. Um, so, yes. So, uh, yeah, there seems to be people who are buying it for the property and might attend, might buy it for the business. Well, I guess there's, there's always a price for everything. And, of course, Masters has been a, a big anchor around uh, Woolworths or a big chain around Woolworths neck and they finally uh, some months ago decided to uh, just jettison the business Friday as you say is the board meeting where they will discuss the proposals um, it looks like Mitre 10 are interested in some of the businesses, the hardware there's some private equity and some property trust that may be potentially interested in the uh, in the Masters sites um, ironically Masters was one of the better performers in the Woolworth stable in the last set of numbers which showed that while they uh, have been trying to fix the Masters problem, the problem they have in supermarkets has just got worse Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really at losing to uh, losing out to Coles, and of course, in the last few days, we've also had some some rumours resurface that uh, private equity firm KKR, which was made famous in that book Barbarians at the Gate mm-hmm. uh, back in the eighties, um, is looking uh, to put their slide rule back over Woolworths, and certainly the um, the jettisoning jettisoning of Mark, of uh, Masters may be. Uh, the catalyst that forces uh, private equity. It certainly would be a cleaner business for them if all they were buying was the supermarkets, the liquor stores, uh, the liquor business, and, of course, Big W, which also is a bit of a problem for them, um, rather than that master's um, millstone around their neck. I mean, is there, have we got the right chairman at Woolworths? I mean, he comes into David Jones, he sells David Jones off, and within two years, the new owners seem to be returning that business around. Are we just going to be selling this business off and move on somewhere else when the hard work should be really done in fixing the business? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, from, from my own view and my own experience, I mean, looking at um, looking at Coles back in 2008, they, West Farmers, when they bought that, they brought in a very um, experienced retailer, a guy by the name of Ian McLeod, mm-hmm. um, and he was an absolute genius and turned the Coles business mm-hmm. round. Now, of course, we, we've got Brad Banducci, who's the new uh, CEO of Woolworths, and the market was hoping that he would be the messiah and he would be the man to lead Woolworths out of the uh, the wilderness into the promised land. Of course, unfortunately, these days, the market is a very impatient beast, and they don't seem to be giving uh, Brad much of a chance at the moment. The first set of figures that he produced under his watch um, well, really aren't under his watch because he's yeah. been in the, in the business for uh, you know three or four minutes. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard for him, but certainly the market is um, giving him a bit of a, a, mm. a hurry-up in terms of uh, the strategy going mm. forward. Mm. And speaking of going forward, I mean, JP Morgan's come out with this week to say that Blackmore shares are going to reach $215. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good call there. It's a good call. It's always a great headline. Um, Blackmore's obviously uh, is one of the market darlings, along with stocks like Bellamy's, which we've uh, be- been big fans of, as, long, yep. as well as A2 Milk. All these, uh, all these guys suffered uh, big time. Um, funnily enough, the, uh, when the government, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, was in China, we had all these eruptions on regulations in China about um, uh, food products and uh, vitamins and Blackmore's A2 and, and Bellamy's all took a big hit on the back of those changes in regulation. It now appears that maybe those regulations are going to be pushed out another year and they may not come in at all. So it does seem odd timing that when we had a massive trade mission up there, the Chinese were quite keen to flex their muscles uh, and show, I guess, uh, who is boss in 
in, yes. in, in trade matters uh, with, with the change in regulations, which yeah. is now looks like it could be wound back. But certainly Blackmore's Quality Act, um, the figures uh, recently were very good. Um, they have got some competition appearing, so, you know, it's not all uh, yep. not all the better roses for Blackmore's. They've got Swiss, um, and there's a, a smaller uh, player also emerging as some competition nature's own. Mm-hmm. So um, they haven't got it all themselves, but it's, it's a growing market, and, and so that Asian expansion is key. Thursday Finance on 2NURFM, and we're in the middle of our market snapshot, Stephen Pritchard, with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. And so Fairfax has come out this week and talked about a merger with their uh, uh, with APN's New Zealand business and, and also flagging an end to uh, possible into uh, weekday printing of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. I mean, yes. it seems to be going from worse to worse down there. Well, um, I wouldn't want to be uh, I wouldn't want to be a printer down at Fairfax. I think their days are pretty much numbered in terms of uh, a print edition of the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, journalists also un- under the cosh, unfortunately, as well. Um, but we did see a move the other day uh, from APN News and Media to uh, to merge their New Zealand business with the Fairfax business, as you say. Um, they're pushing growth in radio and uh, outdoor advertising. These have both been uh, big. Uh, winners, I guess, in in the new media world. We can't get away from uh, from the radio in our cars when we're stuck in in traffic. And the outdoor advertising space has changed dramatically with the advent of uh, digital billboards, allowing a lot more adverts um, on the one billboard. And of course, it's a lot easier to uh, to put your ad up on a on a digital billboard than it is to get the guy out with the ladder and the uh, the bucket and the uh, and, and the broom to uh, to put it up. So these are two big growth areas, Fairfax and. Uh, APN are, um, are in discussions about that. They haven't announced it uh, formally. They said they are in discussions, but uh, nothing as yet. So, uh, but an interesting space nonetheless. So, if the, Jane's just put a question to me: if the if the paper copy of the Herald goes, how will she do the crossword? Um, she'll have to probably do it online, I guess. Um, it will be uh, there will be people that suffer. In fact, some of the bookies are actually taking bets at the moment as to which newspaper will be the first newspaper to cease uh, print editions uh, completely. With uh, with uh, Sydney Morning Herald, uh, I think as the the number one uh, pick for the uh, the bookies at the moment over the AFR and the uh, and the Age. So, um, and of course the the uh, the Telegraph. Ah, interesting. Changing times, Stephen, I'm afraid, disruptive technology. Yeah, but I still um, like my get... printed AFR. Well, um, yeah, I, I have to say that there's a lot to be said for the printed form, but um, so many people now obviously read stuff digitally um, that um, it does become uneconomic. And, you know, if you look at the, the subscription, I guess, for the uh, the AFR, it, it's, it's very small readership, really. So I would imagine that at some stages that, that will go the same way as the Dodo. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Not like Marcus yeah. today, the readership of that skyrocket, I'm sure. Exactly. Well, that's because you have us on, on your program every Thursday and all your listeners are busily signing up to our newsletter. They can get the two-week free, the two free weeks subscription. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, and the Grain Corp, uh, Grain Corp's profit was down 32.5% for the six months, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a complicated business. And, you know, unlike some of the other agribusinesses that we've seen expand very well into Asia, there is a glut of, uh, of, of grain around the world. There's some cheap stuff coming out of uh, Eastern Europe. Um, there's a lot of moving past to this. There's a lot more competition with uh, grain holding facilities being built on the East Coast. Um, and it's, it's, it's a tough business. It's, it's got a lot of moving parts. 
Um, we remember there was a takeover tilt um, a few years ago, which was knocked back, I think, by the then uh, world's greatest treasurer, Wayne Swan, um, I think it was. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, I, I actually chatted to the, uh, the CEO yesterday on Sky Business. And, you know, it's a very complicated business. It's way above my pay grade. Um, it's not something that I would really go near. It seems hard to see how they can value add. Um, whereas you look at someone like um, Bellamy's or, uh, or Blackmore's with, uh, with those sorts of products, they do value add to base products um, with marketing and, and, and skillful distribution. So um, Grain Corp a little bit um, too complicated for me, I'm afraid. And, and one last thing to wrap up on is on agricultural business is um, Murray Goulburn, the, the chair's this talk that the chair wants to or is being asked to quit, and yeah. uh, and and Slater and Gordon's looking at a class action to get some fees in to save solve their own problems. <laughs> I think that's the ultimate irony, is it? Isn't it that Slater and Gordon mm. is going to sue someone um, for misleading the market given their uh, given their track record in that place? Um, Murray Murray Goulburn obviously has had some some major issues. Has had to downgrade the price it's paying to farmers, and I, I saw in the press today that farmers are looking uh, uh, to uh, put a levy on uh, on the price of milk to try and uh, keep uh, keep their heads above water. It, it would be a very tough world at the moment being a dairy farmer. Um, they're being squeezed all over the place in terms of uh, in terms of their margins. So you have to feel very sorry for them. Um, and Murray Goldman have handled it very badly. I think. Uh, the way they've dealt with uh, not only their shareholders but also their their farmers and, and although the CEO's gone and a number of other board uh, people have left, um, it's certainly not a good look at the moment and there's a big shadow uh, over that company. I think. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for that, Henry. We'll we'll talk to you My again pleasure. next week. Hopefully, it's a bit warmer up here. Well, it's beautiful down yeah, here. No, 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 no. You'll be out sunbaking probably. I will be. We'll all come and join you. Thanks so much, Henry Henry Jennings, Senior Commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners, and Stephen Pritchard. The budget made some changes to superannuation that look as though they're going to be quite significant, far-reaching. Yes, some of the big, or the most of the big changes in the budget had to do with superannuation and and to raise additional revenue for the for the government from superannuation. Um, um, and we'll just go through a couple of the changes now. The, a lot of them don't actually come into the first to the seventh, two thousand and seventeen, but but some were effectively affected from budget night as well. So the the maximum concessional contribution at the moment there's an age based concessional contribution which is things you can get a tax deduction for and and up to age 49 it's uh, 30,000 and after age 49 it's 35,000. Now as from the 1st of the 7th of 2017 everyone's going to be able to claim a flat $25,000. No matter so, how no old. No matter how old No matter you are, how no, much money you've got to spend. No matter how much money you've got to spend or how old you are. Um, and then there's also the other way you can get money to, to superannuation funds is, is making what's called a, a non-concessional contribution. I you don't obtain a tax deduction for it. It's it's come out of pre. It's come out of post-tax money. Now that that's that's been in our practice. That that's been quite popular when people have got to to you know they've got to you know 55 or 60. They've got some additional money and they they tip that in to top up their superannuation fund. Now what what you've been allowed in the past is a hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Uh, per annum, and a bring uh, there's a thing called a bring forward fill which allows you to put in five hundred and forty thousand by bringing forward the next three years contributions. Um, so 
um, and there was no kind of lifetime limit. You could put in $180,000 every year. Um, but what, what's going to happen now is the maximum the maximum lifetime limit on non-concessional contributions is $500,000. So that means that the most you can put into a superannuation fund out of post-tax earnings is now going to be $500,000. Now, that $500,000 is going to be calculated from the 1st of the 7th, 2007. Now, 2017. No, no 2007. Right. So what that means is if you've already put in um, more than this $500,000, you're home free and got to win. Okay, so if you've put in a million dollars between now and 2007, and I think that was the year, which I never got, went back and checked, but I think that's the year you could put a million dollars in that special one-off opportunity that Paul Keating had. So if you've put that, 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 uh, you've put a million dollars in since 2007, um, the maximum you can now put in is 100,000, you're a winner. If you've put in um, 490,000, say, and Aunt Mary died and you were planning to put that into superannuation, uh, you're a loser because you're already at your 490000 The most you can put in is another $10,000. So I think what this, is going to, what this is going to happen is you're not going to see people with large amounts in superannuation anymore. You're not going to see the funds that have got $10 million in, which I think there's 272 of those in the country, um, and you're not going to see, but it's not uncommon to see um, people have a couple of million dollars in their fund. It's not uncommon. So, um, and then the other thing that's come in is the maximum amount that can be transferred to the pension account is $1.6 million, um, as from the 1st of the 7th, 2017. So what that means is presently when money's in the pension account inside of the superannuation fund, it doesn't pay tax on its earnings and the pension that comes out to the person who, the pensioner or the beneficiary um, doesn't pay any tax on, 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 the, on, on the money they receive. So effectively you can have a, you know, one of these 272 funds in Australia that have got over $10 million are, are paying no tax on their earnings and when they're, they're, the beneficiaries receive the pension, there's no tax paid. So there's no tax paid anywhere along the line. So as from the 1st of the 7th, 2017, all the amount over $1.6 million has to be transferred back to the taxable proportion of the fund or the accumulation account and that will be taxed at 15%. So the way everyone will get the $1.6 million or has the opportunity to have $1.6 million dollars in this tax-free environment but but if but you haven't got there you can get there um and if you if you have got there the excess gets transferred back to the to the account and you have to pay tax at 15 percent now um that's still a, a you know someone with that type of money in a fund would normally probably be paying tax at you know at least the 30 percent maybe the, the top marginal rate um so that's still a significant concession for keeping these assets in super but it's not as good as as it used to have been now, the interesting thing about this, if you start to think about it, um, I think with the with the and just seeing what's happened in our practice, I think in the future you're going to see very few people getting to the one point six million dollars because you're, you're limited it to twenty five thousand a year contribution. Now, when people are young. 
they usually don't have the twenty five thousand. They're they're buying buying the house and you know the kids school. If they're not going to private school, it's still quite expensive to send children to the public school and the football. I mean, it's three or four hundred dollars just to register for the Saturday football for them to play football now. So all that money gets used up in living costs, and it's only when they get to fifty and the kids are getting a bit older, and um, so there's excess money to put in the fund. Well, you're not going to be allowed to put that in anymore. So I don't think you're going to see. Uh, many many people with $1.6 million in superannuation anyhow. So that means they're going to have to look at other avenues for saving um, saving money. Um, and the other thing that, that, that's that been abolished is there used to be this 10% uh, accessible income rule. So that was that was a really bit of a patty neck. So if, if you were self-employed and, say, had a, a part-time job as well, which wasn't uncommon... Um, um, if you if the income from your part time job exceeded ten percent of your um, uh, uh, other income, you couldn't make a deductible contribution to to um, your superannuation fund. Say, for example, you were, had a part time lecturing job at the university and you, you ran your own consulting business. Um, if your income from the university was more than ten percent, you couldn't make a deduction to superannuation. So that's all been abolished. Um, the ten percent rule doesn't apply. It's just going to be the straight twenty five thousand con deductible contributions either made by your employer or by yourself. So that that was a bit of simplification that should have always been there. Now, the work test rule is still in at the moment. The work test rule's in, but that's going in 2017. The work test being that you had to work 40 yes. so, hours. Yes, so if you were over 65 years... About less than seventy-four years, you you could make additional contributions to superannuation, um, provided you satisfied the work test. Now, what that meant is that you had to work um, forty hours in thirty days, and it had to be in gainful employment and paid. It meant you had to get a group certificate. So, if you're doing work in the in the um, Saint Vincent de Paul shop or the Salvation Army shop or any of those worthwhile charitable things, unfortunately, that never counted. So, what what's 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 now happened is from 2017, the work test is completely abolished. The same rules apply to those people up to um, age 74. And after 74, I assume the only money that can go into superannuation is, is the superannuation guarantee levy, which is the case And now. is that likely to be the case even if there's a change of government? Um, the government, the, the, the Labor government doesn't seem to have said, or the p- potential Labor government doesn't seem, seems to be in a common agreement with most of these changes. Mm, okay. And I wouldn't have thought the work test change would make much difference. It just simplifies the system, really. Significant changes. Thank yep. you, Stephen Pritchard. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be back with Thursday Finance next Thursday after the midday news.